Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. Tara Telke's art roots go back to her childhood, where two of her art teachers planted the seeds not only of the importance of art, but also of what kind of person she wanted to be. She's been actively making and sharing art ever since, even though her path to school teaching took a few detours. Tara tells us about those two teachers, what she's learned from her students, how she applies improv's yes and mantra to her teaching and her life, and more. Here's my conversation with Tara Telke. Tara, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to hear your story today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So how did your creative journey start? Were you always a creative kid or did you come to it later in life? I think I was always interested in creative things. Um, I, I definitely, you know, was given crayons to be kept quiet at restaurants, you know, and that worked for me. Um, and I, I want to say in first grade or so, I won an art contest. And that did really make me feel very special. It was, or I didn't win. I think I got second, but I, that was, that was still a you know, big win for me. And, uh, and I just had a, you know, some really important art teachers along the way. I had a, an important one, I think in fifth grade for a year and especially my high school art teacher. And, you know, I always loved it as a hobby, but I think my high school art teacher really made me, you know, believe it was something that I could really kind of pursue the rest of my life. So I'm curious to hear about more about those two teachers. Well, the the teacher that I had in fifth grade, Miss Van Cleve, and I'm trying to find her somewhere in the world. I, she's not on Facebook that I can tell. Uh, I didn't have her from very long, but uh, she just, I, I, she had so much personality. I was actually a little intimidated by her because she was kind of loud and proud um, the way she just kind of walked around the room, but she was really fun. And uh, I, I just liked her activities. And uh, I think one of the things that um, I think, that probably the biggest thing that she did for me, but I, she did even more interesting, uh, interesting things for other people. But when she was leaving the, at the end of, you know, in the spring, she knew she was going to move to California or something like that. And she'd called me up to her desk and she said, I'm moving to California and I, I can't take all my art supplies with me. And she said, I thought you might be somebody that would be interested in, in some of them. And I was like, oh, yes, I'd love some. And she gave me puffy paint. It was the 80s, <laughs> um, fluorescent puffy paint. And uh, I, I can't even remember all the other things, but I got, you know, maybe a shoebox full of art supplies and I was very excited about it. And I went home and I remember my mom said, well, you need to make her a little thank you, you know, for the supplies. And, and <laughs> from whatever my mom said, we should use this puffy fabric paint as a thank you. My mom got out a, a brown turtleneck of all things. And I painted what I'm sure is like the ugliest shirt on earth right now. <laughs> um, it was a, it was a palm tree and with coconuts, but the coconuts were fl fluorescent orange. I definitely remember that it was probably a fluorescent highlighter green, you know, for the palm tree on a, on a brown turtleneck that was surely from the seventies. And uh, anyway, but that was my thank you to her and bless this woman. She wore that shirt the next day to school. And, <laughs> and I was very proud of this. I, I, she just, I think she made me feel special and, you know, uh, that, you know, this was exciting and fun. 
And uh, she did that for me. But, you know, I found out a few things about her a few years later that always stuck with me, too. And I didn't really find this out until she had moved away for two or three years. But a good uh, friend of mine, her brother was blind and um, he was in her class. He was in eighth grade when I was in fifth grade. And uh, he uh, she had put like salt and different um, textures in the paint because he was not born blind. He remembered colors from when he was a toddler. And so he could, you know, he knew the sky was supposed to be blue or the grass was green, things like that. And so she had done, um, you know, she'd gone just above and beyond to give him like a visual art experience, which I just thought was really amazing. And, uh, and then rumor was that she ended up working for an art school for the blind in California, but this is all, you know, I've tried to find her and I don't know what her story is, but just, I think knowing those things about her just kind of stuck with me. Um, and then I had just an absolutely phenomenal art teacher in high school, Daniel Weiss, uh, just, uh, uh, a really big mentor for me. Um, I, I had him my sophomore, junior and senior year. I think my senior year, I, I didn't ha- need too many more credits to graduate. And I, I think I signed up for five classes my spring semester, my senior year. And then, of course, he got a student teacher. Um, but, <laughs> but it was, but he was in the room, so he was still there. But uh, uh, I could go on about Daniel Weiss. Uh, I think the reason he was, uh, there's, it's hard to really put a finger on all the reasons he was so special, but I think he really was the person in my life that, cared more about everything than anybody I had ever met before. He cared about the tone that he used with people when he spoke to them. He cared about the consequences of his actions. Um, He cared about the quality of his work. I'd never really just seen someone invest so much effort into just every little aspect of their life. And I just admired that a lot. And uh, he kind of allowed me to embrace perfectionism, but in a, in a healthy way, I think, um, you know, just to give my best, uh, and, and just to be very thoughtful, um, you know, as much as I could be in the time that I was given. And, uh, and he, he just, he was just an important mentor. I mean, you know, I had, I had great parents, uh, but he was just one of those people that filled in all the gaps that, you know, that you just inevitably have, um, you know, when you're growing up, you just can't get everything from just two people. Mm -hmm. You, you get things from a lot of people and, and he filled in some of those biggest gaps, I think for me, uh, and set me on a good path. And then I think uh, he really made me more than anything, probably just love learning, period. He sounds pretty phenomenal. He was. He was. Yeah. I mean, most of us don't think about a lot of those things that you listed. So to watch somebody do that, especially, you know, for an entire year, that's an amazing, amazing gift, really. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was very theatrical in his teaching, but he was also very genuine at the same time. And he was just a very memorable person, just, you know, really unique. Uh, he, you know, and I'm really teach nothing like him <laughs> myself. <laughs> uh, I think in spirit, I have a lot in common with him, but eventually I kind of had to find my own way. Uh, but I do think the core principles and things that he believed in, I, you know, I do really try to emulate the things that he did um, as, you know, as much as possible. So So did, did he inspire you to become a teacher or did that happen? A teacher and an artist. He he was an art teacher and I'm an art teacher. And so I think first, I think first and foremost, he just got me interested in art and he made me believe that art was worthwhile 
I think before that I had just sort of thought art was a fun hobby, you know, it makes things prettier, more interesting. But I, I think I had in my mind that there were other more noble things that a person could do with their life, like maybe being a doctor or a nurse or a teacher, or uh, I, I don't know. I just, I sort of thought that there were probably things that were, you know, more important. And, uh, and he really kind of made me realize that art is kind of what we live for, you know? Um, I mean, you know, music is, you know, a big thing, but, you know, visual art makes the world more beautiful, more interesting, you know, music just, you know, is, uh, I don't know, soothing, relaxing, fun, um, film, you know, everything that we do when we just just decide to relax, whether it's watch a movie, whether it's travel, whether it's read a book, um, all of those things are really art. And it was like, everything else is like a means to get to an art experience, I think. And he just made me realize that it was actually really important and that it wasn't, that I wasn't abandoning other important things to make this important. Uh, so I think he, he made me, uh, you know, first kind of fall in love with art and the benefits of making art and having art in spaces. I I think that, but it was also the way that somehow through art, he taught me about everything else. Um, you know, I, I think he gave me a moral compass and I, I, I actually, I struggled with reading when I was in high school. Um, I could read, but I, I, I probably was like, I probably had ADHD. I was never officially diagnosed, but it was probably more of a concentration thing than anything, but I really didn't read well. Um, and, uh, he, he was the reason I was like, I've, I've got to get good at reading. You know, he's just made it clear <laughs> to me that there's just too much good stuff in books. Um, and nobody had ever really, really done that for me. I, I, I mean, it's kind of hard to explain that, but it, but it really, you know, um, and so it, he, he made me kind of overcome obstacles that, were pretty, were really pretty big obstacles for me. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, obviously getting better at reading and writing opened a lot of doors for me as well. Um, and so, yeah, I think it was that, but it was, uh, it was just, it, it was the way he just kind of poured all of his energy into everything he did. But, you know, um, I also, I think it, you know, it was the way he spoke about people too. Um, I, I remember him talking about his children and his wife, um, long before I met them. And one day they came into school and, you know, just mom came in and the kids were pretty small and they were just playful. And, and, you know, he, the way he had talked about his wife was, I mean, he had kind of put her on this pedestal, like she was some kind of goddess that was this brilliant <laughs> genius and all stuff. And I, I don't know what I expected to see when she came in, but, and no offense to her, but she was, you know, just another ordinary person like all of us. And I realized it was him that kind of bestowed that grandeur on the people. He recognized their inner beauty and their brilliance. And he really believed in it. And he, he kind of bestowed that gift on everyone that he knew and sort of highlighted it and brought that out in people. And, uh, and I just really loved how he did that because I think everybody that knew him felt special, felt loved, felt paid attention to, and then also started to do the same for everyone in their lives. And, uh, I, I mean, when I, when I went to his funeral, I mean, it was jam packed and I mean, almost every student that spoke at the funeral was like, he was like a father to me, you know, over and over again. And I, I you know, I felt the same way felt the same way. And, and I, and I thought this, this is so magnificent that he managed to be able to do that to so many people 
I don't know how he had any time left for himself <laughs> and he probably really didn't. He probably, he probably really made a lot of sacrifices um, to do that for people. But uh, you know, I, it, it, he really just, he had a gift with people and, and, and he, it was all of the things he made me love human creations and then how he treated people. And I realized I, I wanted to do those things too with my life, you know, whatever I pursued. and after a while, I thought, I, wow, I feel like I don't even know how to do it any other way, but the same way he did it as an art teacher. Um, and it took me a while because I, I was absolutely sure that I would never be anything like him. You know, I was, and I'm still not. Um, I remember I had been teaching, I mean, you know, now I've been teaching 20 some years, but I was, this was only like six or seven years ago. And I just had a really good lesson. I mean, I don't know why everything came together. The kids were engaged and kind of just felt like my words came together well. And at the end of the lesson, I thought, oh my gosh, I just had my first class as good as Mr. Weiss's. <laughs> and I had been teaching, you know, I've been teaching for 13 to 15 years at this point, but I was like, I think I just had a, like a Weiss moment. That's really what I, how I felt about it. And then I started to just kind of feel like I had more moments that were, you know, maybe, maybe not like his or anything like that. But I was like, that was a really valuable moment that went well. I need to do that again. Uh, and things like that. But it, it, I, I was definitely afraid of teaching for a long time because I just knew that I would not be as effective as him. And I wasn't for a long time. <laughs> but as you know, I've honed my craft and sometimes I'm effective now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's more than sometimes. <laughs> Some, sometimes even more than once in a week. But uh, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I wonder now, I, I, I wish I could, you know, talk to him again. And I, as a more experienced teacher, I would love to know what I'm sure he had insecurities all the way through his career too, you know, but I, I, it'd be interesting to, to, to have that, have a discussion with him again for, as a, as a much older person. Yeah. 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 And he'd probably be thrilled to hear what you've done. (laughs) He would, he would, he'd, he'd have a, he'd have, he was supportive uh, when I became a teacher and he, in fact, I will say though, I, some of my very first assignments, I actually kind of submitted to him for his approval. And he had so many criticisms. <laughs> he had so many, he was so critical. And uh, I totally took that advice though. I really did. I mean, it, it hurt a little bit, but I did. I, I, I definitely read everything that he said. And, um, and I do keep in touch a little bit with some of his siblings and, and things like that. And occasionally we just, you know, through social media and things like that. Um, but, and that's fun for me to at least keep in touch with his siblings because, he was just a really special person, you know. That's so. abundantly clear. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> really amazing. So so when did you is that when you decided that you wanted to teach or did it take a little while? Uh, well, I I think I did right at the beginning college decide to like, you know, study in art education. Um and, but then I kind of backed away from it and kind of I I stayed in all visual arts fields. I think for a minute, I was like a printmaking major. I, I think I, I finished with a studio art degree, which actually did not leave me certified to teach. Um, and then um, I, and then I got married and had a child at pretty young, like 23. And so I ended up kind of like, well, I had three children, you know, but by the time I was 29 and uh, I, you know, I, I, sort of stayed home with the kids and I kind of worked little small odd jobs. And a lot of it would be like kind of preschool or elementary school, after school 
programs and I would do arts and crafts and things like that. Um, so I never really left it, but I was kind of just staying what I would say is on the outside periphery of that kind of career. Um, I, you know, I was in touch with, you know, kids and I was doing art. Um, but I wasn't, you know, only maybe six to 10 hours a week or something like that. And, um, and then when the kids were elementary age, I started teaching elementary art and then I did middle school and then now I'm in high school. Um, but, uh, it, it was a, I, I, I didn't get certified until I was teaching middle school. I actually worked at a private school for a while cause I wasn't certified. Uh, so, um, but yeah, I, I never got, I, I think I was just always kind of dipping my toe in the water. It's like, I kind of knew that this was sort of what I was supposed to be doing, but a little afraid. And then I, I think busyness with life and kids kind of was a good excuse to not focus on it for a while. Um, but then eventually, you know, it, it just, it, it's always kind of probably been my path. I think, I mean, I, I, I really would have a hard time. I don't know what else I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I mean I love the environment. I maybe I could maybe I could go pick up trash on a beach somewhere. I just really don't know what other jobs I could do. It's uh it's it's definitely the most natural one for me. So well, I think I think that's true for a lot of us and it's just a question of how long it takes us to figure out what that path is and how long we avoid it. So Yeah. 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 So a- avoiding it or sort of watching it and observing it and I don't know, just, I, I just, I feel like I just creeped into it and I meet so many teachers now that my, they're my age and they're on their 25th year, you know, towards retirement, but because I spent time in private schools and things like that, I'm like, oh, I'm on year seven, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'm like, I'll be here till I'm 65, no matter what. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad I like, I'm a busy body and, uh, you know, I think until I feel a little bit maybe out of touch with just maybe uh, you know, modern times or technology, I'll, I'll probably keep doing it. You know, that I think that I do, I am kind of cognizant that there is a time where you are a generation removed from maybe the kids and, you know, that that would be a better time to maybe be in administration and not <laughs> teaching or something. But um, as long as I feel like I can still kind of connect with the kids, I'll probably be in the classroom. So. Well, and I think the, the, interesting thing about a statement like that is that I think the longer you're in the classroom, the longer you connect with the kids. Uh, so it's been true for me. It's been true for me. Yeah. Speaking of which, <clears throat> I always have found that I have learned at least as much from my students as I suspect they have learned from me. Absolutely. So I'm curious to know what kinds of things you've learned from your students over the years. Well, first of all, Mr. Weiss used to say that all the time. <laughs> uh, what have I learned from my students? Well, that's just, uh, that's, there's probably way too many things to list. Uh, I think the first thing I've learned is that how I treat them is way more important than what I treat them or what I teach them, how, how I teach them and versus, uh, what I teach them. So it's, uh, it's first kind of showing them that you really do care about their future and you're not just putting information in front of them because you're getting a paycheck for it. Um, and so it really matters more that we kind of have positive relationships and positive experiences before we do anything else. Uh, so definitely learned that because any kind of missteps I've made where I've been hurtful, uh, you know, anything like that, they've just uh, interfered with our ability to move forward 
um, for sure. And you have to, if, if anytime you make a misstep, which is going to happen, you're going to be cranky someday. You're going to, things aren't going to come out right or whatever. Um, you got to repair that. You got to repair that before you can even do anything. Um, so I, you know, I even, I, one thing I say a lot to the kids, cause if we, if, you know, if, if they're rude to me or if I'm rude to them, I, you know, I, I, we just pause and I, you know, I say to them, you know, uh, more important than, our ability to read or count or anything is our ability to be, you know, kind and, and to each other. And, <clears throat> you know, I say to them too, uh, it, you know, no one's going to pay you to be disrespectful to them. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, they, you know, they, they can train you on whatever they need you to do for their job. Um, but they, they need you to be, you know, kind to them, kind to their customers, kind to the fellow employees um, and we need to be in the habit of it and it needs to be a, re, you know, a reliable skill that we have. So um, anytime we do that, we'll just, we just kind of stop and talk about that. Cause I just, I just don't think we can go forward until we have that. Um, so that's, that's, I learned that from just watching the way I treated people, how it affected people. Um, what else have the kids taught me? Um, I mean, they just constantly give me creative ideas and new possibilities uh, I think they're, they're, they're big problem solvers. Um, and maybe not even intentionally. Sometimes, sometimes you give them a set of tasks to do and they do it a lot of different ways than you expected them to do it. And, uh, usually after I've given an assignment, they've come up with 10 new ways to do something that I didn't even consider. And I'm grabbing their example and say, Oh, look what so-and-so came up with. I, I hadn't even considered this. This is a great solution to this problem. This is a great method. Uh, things like that. So I think they're just constantly showing me the many possibilities, the many, um, the many ways we can be successful um, all the time. So I think those are probably the two biggest things. I'm sure there's a lot more. Uh, I feel like I learn little fun, silly facts from them all the day, all the time, every day. I have a, I have a group of girls that ask me a question of the day every day. <laughs> and <laughs> We learned some of the most random things about each other. I think the, the most recent question they asked me was, would I go to a Pitbull concert for $40? Um, <laughs> and I decided I thought I would. Um, <laughs> I said I needed a friend to go with me. To, uh, uh, but uh, we, we just have some really fun conversations. And it, it spills into what a good price is for a concert. You know, who's Pitbull's audience is. <laughs> you know, just uh, just silly stuff. Um, but it it... You know, I think it it really kind of grows into other things because I I chaperoned homecoming last night and my my question of the day girls wanted to show me their dresses and you know and and, and things like that and uh, I had a not very fun job of kind of policing this area where they were trying to make sure no kids left and no new kids came in or tried to go to their car and come back and uh, and I had to I had to speak to some kids right at that moment but because those girls were there they were like oh no. Sh- sh- she's just doing her job, you know, like they kept it from being, uh, getting escalating and things like that. And so I I was happy for them (laughs) last night too. That's cool though. I mean, that's, that's the kind of relationship with students that I always really loved when it's like, you know, it's not just here, here are things that I am supposed to teach you and you are supposed to show me that you have learned them and that's it. You know, there's, those are the, the magic little little pieces that keep you going, I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's, that's the rewarding part of teaching for sure. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about how much effort they must put into coming up with their question every day. And, you know, because that's, that's a whole thing. If it's an everyday thing, that's a commitment. <laughs> it, it is four girls and two of them are bigger question askers than the other two. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it comes pretty naturally to them. They seem to, uh, I don't want to say they're nosy, (laughs) 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 but, uh, no, they're, they're curious. (laughs) They're curious and they're, they're fun and, and they definitely are great at starting fun conversations. Uh, uh, we, we even have another series of questions that is blank or blank. Uh, so one of the questions was, would you, if you could only wear one color the rest of your life, was it, would it be red or blue? Um, you know, we, we have, we have a lot of those. So some of them are, uh, I, I don't think we put too much, too much effort. And if they really can't come up with a question, then I, I ask them a question. So oh, I need to work cool. on one. I need to have one in my pocket ready to go for the next time. So, and sometimes we have to think about our, one time we were like, if you couldn't live in the United States, which country would you choose? And I think we all needed like three days for that one, for some reason. <laughs> Just we, we were like, I, I'm going to get back to you. I've narrowed it down to these places, uh, but yeah, we none of us could make that decision quickly. I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So, what did you teach? Did I taught you te- English as a second language. Oh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's um. That's been kind of a, a little bit of a theme for me this year. Uh, I uh, I I have a lot of uh, Latinx students. And I kind of just hit my ceiling. I, I studied French in high school. I studied German in college. And I'm really regretting not studying Spanish, of course, because um, I have maybe anywhere from five to five to 10 percent of my students in each class speak Spanish. And I just decided this year, I was like, that's it. I'm teaching myself Spanish. I'm going to get fluent. It might take me a while. Uh, I'm playing that Duolingo game. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever played Duolingo. Uh, I play it pretty religiously and, uh, I'm learning quite a bit from it and it's been pretty helpful, but I, I did, I, I, I got a student from Honduras maybe two months ago and she had never, ever heard English the day that she arrived. She'd gotten separated from her family Oof. and I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics cause she couldn't even tell me the specifics if she wanted to. Um, and she's now she's been here about two months and she's definitely picked up a lot already. Um, but it was a rough day. They had given her really hard classes like physics. And I, I mean, I can't remember. They even gave her a schedule where she had to leave my school and ride a bus to another school. And of course, she missed the bus because I, I mean, it was like the last thing that she was expecting to have to do. Sure. And uh, anyway, and at the end of the day, another student of mine that's fluent in Spanish told me that she had she saw her crying somewhere. And I just was like. I was frustrated that I couldn't even really say a few words of kindness to her. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just kind of put my energy into rounding up other kids to just, and I could, and I said, I'm not really supposed to tell you any of this, but we, I want you to know this about the student. Will you look out for her? Will you, you know, help her? Will you introduce her to people? And they did, and they were awesome. Uh, but, um, that's what spawned it. And I think I probably play a half hour to an hour of Duolingo every day. I've translated every single worksheet into Spanish this year. Um, you know, I'm an art teacher. So my worksheets are very, uh, you know, like, uh, do the color wheel or something. The, mm-hmm. the directions are pretty easy to translate. It's not like a, a book or anything, but anyway, but it, that's been really fun this year too. Um, a lot of my students have fun proofreading my poor translations. They, <laughs> they are having a blast with that. 
Um, so I, I, I seem to never get the accents or the masculine or feminine stuff right at all or plurals, um, let alone conjugating verbs, forget that. But, uh, but they, they are, they have fun making fun of my Spanish and I've had fun too. I even got, I got a little treat from, um, a a Mexican grocery store from one of my students that works there as a, as a thank you for that. And, uh, I, and now, now I'm just super motivated about it. And hopefully a year from now, I'll understand a little bit more spoken Spanish and and things like that. And then, you know, as, as a bonus, I can travel more places now and know a little bit more about what's going on. So, um, yeah, so that I, I'm sure that was really enjoyable for you, you know, teaching the different, teaching them their, a new language and learning about their cultures as well. Exactly. I mean, they all came in with a functional level of English, right. but you know, the, the stuff that they would tell me about, like I found out that my birthday is Taiwanese independence day. That's oh, cool. interesting. You know, and, they, and once, the, you know, the Taiwanese students never forgot my birthday <laughs> once they knew. I mean, that's awesome. It was amazing. And, and, you know, I mean, what's a night market and, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff. It's just, so were it your students primarily from Asia? Most or... of them were, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Most of my students are uh, from Mexico, Central America, the Caribbean. A few are from South America, not very many. But I, we don't have a big Asian population at my school, so. But it's uh, yeah. I can imagine though, if you just moved to a new school district, you would have a whole new set of skills that you'd have to develop. <laughs> well, and these were coming from their home countries every year, so especially oh, so they would the, re- they would return. Okay. Yeah, and so yeah. especially some of them when when they would come in for you know orientation at the beginning of the year, we didn't really get any sixth graders, I don't think, but we got a, a bunch of kids who started when they were in seventh grade and they were just so tiny. And you look at them and think, boy, I don't know if I could have done this when I was your oh, age, you know, right. to come over here. And, and I mean, the fact that the fact that the Asian community, and it was particularly Korean and Taiwanese were the largest groups was so big was both a blessing and a curse, you know, because in terms of learning English, they didn't have to speak it all the time because they would hang out with their friends and speak Korean or Taiwanese or whatever. But, you know, and I would sometimes say that to them, like, you know, our lone Polish student over here is learning a lot more English than you are because he doesn't have a choice. (laughs) Right. You know, but, but at the same time, I think it, meant that they could feel a whole lot less like they had just been dumped somewhere totally abandoned on their own and and you know i mean we would also keep an eye on them and look out for them and make sure that they weren't like you know freaking out every day and usually it would be right around october would be when all of a sudden it would dawn on them that they had been away from mom and dad for a month and things would happen but sure but then it would settle back down again and they, they were really good about looking out for each other so so yeah but but boy, you know, you'd see some of them come in and you're just like, you are, you are tiny, you're right? tiny. I can't believe somebody's leaving you here on your own. And yet, you know, they figured it out. So it's amazing how resilient kids are. Totally. I, 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 and a lot of my students, if, if there, a lot of them are really first generation Americans, but some of them are not. And it's usually from South of the United States, it's usually a one way ticket in and not a trip back. And it's a disconnect from family members, mm-hmm. sometimes a permanent one. And that is really hard. 
Yeah. And uh, I only have one student. Um, she's, she's amazing, but she, uh, she, uh, got to go, she has dual citizenship, I guess. And she got to go back to Mexico and she went by herself on a, it was a two day bus ride, uh, to some region in Southern Mexico. Um, and it was a two day bus ride back and she did it all by herself. And, you know, she's 16 or 17 years old. And I just thought, I can't even imagine I, I wasn't mature enough to do that back then. I, you know, wasn't given any kind of responsibility like that. And she kind of did it for the family. The family kind of needed her to take care of some business in Mexico. And she was really the only person with all the skills needed to do both. And I just thought, wow, I mean, just she's, you know, she's really like a pillar for her family Mm -hmm. on both sides of the border. And, and, and other, and I think other students thought it was really fascinating too, you know, because uh, some students, it's like, even if that's their heritage, they don't get to go back and enjoy it. Or if they do, it'll be few and, you know, very few times in their lifetime. And so, you know, so that was really interesting. She, I already want her to like write me a whole book about that trip. (laughs) So (laughs) I've already, I've already asked her too many questions about that, but it just, it seemed really fascinating and she's wise beyond her years. But yeah, it's, it's just, and you just learn so much about the world uh, through their, through their, you know, it's like traveling when you're in the classroom, really. Right. Yep. Right. I had I had two students that uh, we I, they realized that they were both from Jamaica and they had kind of been sitting on opposite sides of the room. And for whatever reason, I had given them a group activity and they had ended up together and they just immediately switched into Creole. And I couldn't understand what they were saying anymore. <laughs> I was catching bits and pieces. And, and but then it was fun because we just started asking them, you know, that they're what what you know, what they thought of Jamaica and and their experience in America. And like I said, it was, it was like taking a trip, you know, because, you know, they would say, Oh, crime is bad there. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, is it scary to go to the ATM? You know, do, do women have equal rights? What, you know, and they would just give me all of their, you know, what their, their opinion on those, those questions and stuff. And it it was super fascinating to hear, um, you know, from kids that had been here. And then they also started to tell me funny things about um, second generation Jamaican students that can copy their parents ad accents but think they're speaking creole but they really can't <laughs> and, and it was and they were just telling me funny things and they're like and there was another student in the room that was a first generation jamaican or american but his parents were jamaican and he did he did exactly that he tried to talk to them in creole and they said and they and i, I said well how can you too and they're like well we can just ask him basic questions i'm like what does he say when he skips class um he's they're like because he won't be able to do it because that's not something his parents would say in front of him <laughs> And, I, and so they did it. And it, 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 ironically, the word for skipping class was skull, which sounds like <laughs> school to me, but it's, it's more like the word skull, I guess. But they, that was what they, that's what they would say and stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's, we, they said, we have little words that we use to just really try to identify if they're, if they li- really lived in Jamaica, like we did, or if it was their parents. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And it, they were kind of throwing a little shade. They, they did, they, they, they didn't feel like they were as legit if their parents, uh, if, if they were born in the U S wow. <laughs> so, that makes sense. It was cute. It was fun. So, <clears throat> so I've had over the last almost three years, I've had a couple of guests who have brought up the improv principle of yes. And, Oh, and I know you're a fan. So I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about how that influences your work and your life and wherever all it comes into play for you. Well, I, 
I really don't have a lot of theater experience. I did, I did a little in middle school. I think there was an age where had I had really great theater teachers versus really great art teachers, I might've gone in that direction because as a young person, I really did like that stuff. Um, but we didn't have a theater program in my middle school. And I think that's really kind of what determined my future. But, uh, but my, um, my ex-husband did improv and is, was the first person to introduce me to SM, but also my kids did a lot of, um, theater, maybe mostly in middle school, a little bit in high school. Um, and so they were also familiar with it. And, uh, and I really, I think it was just a, kind of a conversation, um, you know, with my ex-husband when I was still married, but, you know, he was telling me about it and, it, and, and uh, he was telling, telling me about the yes and the game, you know, and how you're never supposed to negate your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, you know, a person, if they're starting some kind of improv scene, they, they suggest something. And even if it's just what you believe is really the most batshit, crazy, terrible idea, <laughs> you just support it like it is the best idea on earth. And um, I was really fascinated with this because once he told me the concept and then I were watching the skits, I realized that the funnier skits were the people that were successfully doing this, that were really supporting their partner, no matter how the suggestion started. And, uh, and I, I, so I, I was just kind of fascinated with it. And then I think as an art teacher, um, I get a lot of kids with some really left field ideas, (laughs) you know, they'll come up to me with, you know, um, you know, just a very specific idea that's, you know, really unusual. And I'm not quite sure how they can apply it to the, maybe to the criteria that I've given them and things like that. But I've just decided to say yes. And every time, no matter what, and I saw as a teacher, I got better art. Uh, as, as, As long as I immediately respected their ideas and really put my head into how can they build their idea and just let go of any of my preconceived notions and prejudices and biases or anything and just be like, I'm just going to act like this is the best idea I've ever heard. You know, yes, you should put a bra on my little pony. That is a great <laughs> idea. You know, I mean, or just whatever. And I, I mean, I don't know. And it, um, it's, it, it, it was, it made for a more positive relationship with my students. It made for better art and also it made for better humor. It made, you know, um, it, it just, uh, it really did make it a more pleasant kind of funny environment. And so whoever came up with this idea, that was just absolutely brilliant. The yes. And I think all people should apply it to their life. Uh, I think that, um, I think saying yes, when your instinct is to say no, really opens you up as a person and gets you to try new things, try bigger, harder things than you thought you would try, um, gets you to collaborate more with other people and learn from other people. Uh, so, Yes. I mean, thank you improv people for that gift that you gave to humanity, because I think it is an absolutely brilliant concept. And it's been, it's been a pillar of, of my thinking, um, you know, probably almost as important as Mr. Weiss's, you know, but Mr. Weiss was practicing. Yes. And I just didn't know it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he was, he was doing that all along. And, um, and even <laughs> to circle back to our pit bull conversation, so somehow they asked this question. I went home later and realized Pitbull really was coming to concert in Atlanta. And it was, it was, it was not $40. It was $50 or something for a ticket, but it was kind of funny. And I was talking to my daughter and I said, I asked her the question, would you go see Pitbull for $50 in Atlanta? And she was kind of like, yeah, actually that sounds really fun. And we were kind of joking and really looking into tickets. We, we didn't buy any, but 
it was so funny because one of the questions of the day later on ended up being like, Miss Tilkey, what are you what are you doing over the break? And I said, Well, Sunday I'm going to the Pitbull concert. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and you know, and it was just silly, but they were but one of the girls' eyes got really big because clearly she was planning on going. That's all the, and she was like, You are? <laughs> And I, and I was like, I said, no, I'm not going to spoil your fun. I just, I, I said, I just saw that they, that he really was coming. And so, uh, so yeah, the, I, the yes. And it's, 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 it's saying yes to other people. It's supporting other people. It's building on their ideas. It grows all of us. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you've other creative people do that too. Um, it's, uh, it's fun. And, uh, it, it also has, uh, I, it's, I pay attention to that concept when I watch other comedians. And um, I, I think, uh, I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso. It's a oh, new... I adore Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. So <laughs> Jason Sudeikis is a yes and person. That whole, the, all those writers are, uh, I, I feel like they are really, they built on some really wacky ideas. And I, I, I see that in their work for sure. And um, I even think, I think Dave Chappelle is also a yes and person. And I think his stories are very continuous and long and they're just continuing to build. And sometimes his story is that whole hour segment and comes right back um, full circle. And I, yeah, it, it's great. I, if he, it, I, I would recommend it to anybody that's looking to expand their creativity for sure. I'm pretty sure though, I would have to go look it up. If I if I look at for it and I find it, I will put it in the show notes. But I'm pretty sure that that's part of how Tina Fey got her. I think it was her Saturday Night Live job, but I could be wrong. It was a a job that changed everything for her was that she was offered it and she decided yes. And even though she had no idea what it was going to look like, where it was going to go, right, probably was scared to death about it. But, you know, I think I think those folks that, you know, come up through the improv ranks, it does kind of become your philosophy for how to handle life because you're so immersed in it. Yeah. Uh, I think, I don't know Tina Fey's personal story, but I know a lot of the, I know a lot of people that have ended up at Saturday Night Live have come from Second City in Mm -hmm. Chicago, which is an improv. And I believe that's where Yes And started. It, it, but I could be wrong, but it could be a book that the second city people adopted or something, but I'm not, I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm getting those details wrong. But, um, but I, J- Jason Sudeikis, I think is also a second city. Um, I think, I think that, but again, I could be wrong. So I don't, don't quote me on that, but I, I remember reading something about that a, a while ago and, uh, it's, it's great. It now I will say it does lead to that sometimes, uh, Sometimes you can say yes to too much <laughs> and then you've left yourself a little depleted. Um, but uh, I, I think there was a, a woman that wrote a book and she called it the year of yes. And she just decided to say yes to everybody that asked her a uh, favor. Uh, yes. And I thought I, I, I haven't read that whole book, but I definitely sat in a bookstore and at least read a chapter of that book and was like, oh yeah. And she just did it for a year. And I think, um, I think that it will affect her life forever, but at the same time, you know, eventually you do have to say no. Um, but it's better to be saying no out of wisdom <laughs> and not fear. Uh, I, I think so it's, it's great to do that. Yes. And, and, you know, you know, your limitations when, you know, when it's time to eat and sleep and relax and things like that. But, um, but, it, but if you say yes, and a lot, you'll, you'll be doing it out of what you'll be saying no out of wisdom and not out of fear. Um, I think early in your, early in your life, you can say no a lot based on fear and 
don't ever want people to be making fear-based decisions, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, no is often the easy answer, right? You mm -hmm. don't really have to think about it. Right. Yes can be kind of scary, which immediately puts your brain into, I don't want to think about this mode. And then you just default back to no. But there is something about, yes, I mean, I want to say it was just a few years ago, but I'm sure it was more years ago than I <laughs> care to consider. You know, there's also the movie Yes Man, which is the same kind of thing. You know, you're just decide going to say yes. And that whole movie, that character has all sorts of adventures that he never would have had because he's saying yes to things. And I can't remember what the premise is, if he has to say yes or why he's why he's doing it, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that whole movie is just like it opens up his entire life. And you're right that, you know, you have to know what your limits are if you're, you know, if you're going to do something super dangerous and aren't sure <laughs> right. that it's going to be safe, please don't just randomly say yes. <laughs> but, but, you know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we're, we're confronted with thousands of, of decisions every day and probably don't even realize how many of them we just dismiss with a quick no and never think about again. And what would happen if we actually just said yes instead? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fascinating how you've seen it play out in art, too. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that this is not just a theater tool. Oh, it, uh, it should be brought into education it, uh, for sure. Um, the only thing is, I think teachers are by and far kind of a selfless group of people that um, <laughs> do a lot of do a lot of unpaid work <laughs> outside the hours of Definitely. it. And they are the people that will really say yes, you know, to the edge of exhaustion. Um, and I, I think I'm sure I know they're I know they're not the only you know, I know nurses and a lot of other people will do the same. Um, I'm sure there's many professions that do that. But uh, so it is, it, I think it, it's good advice for a young new teacher. <laughs> and then once they've, they, they'll get to a point where they've overexerted themselves very quickly, you know, uh, but it, I, I do think it should be a part of education. I think any, especially any of the fine arts, anything to do with creative writing, um, you know, music, uh, uh theater, uh, I, you know, I, I guess it's a little bit harder maybe to apply to maybe strict mathematical concepts or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I, I do think that that but the relationship wise um, that, you know, that supporting the student and things like that, um, you know, is good. And it even uh, to me, it even affected how many times I let kids use the bathroom. I I used to be kind of like uh, a little stingy with like bathroom hall passes and, and things like that, because. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, oh, are they going to go play in the hallway? Whatever I had, you know, I had, I had whatever. And I, I started to realize that I just have to go with, I have to trust them right away that, that they really need to use the bathroom. They really have important business to take care of. And I should not assume that anything bad is going to happen until something bad happens. Uh, Ooh, yeah. so, uh, I, I've, I've, you know, it's, it, it, it affects all these, all those little decisions that you make. And, and sometimes the kid just appreciates you because you're the teacher that will always let them go to the bathroom because they always have to go to the bathroom mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever. And, and that matters. I mean, you know, because there's, we have a lot of rules that we kind of have in place as educators and, uh, sometimes they're, sometimes they're helpful and sometimes they're a little stifling for some of the kids as well. So definitely. <clears throat> 
Definitely. And, you know, when you were talking about how easily people like teachers can say yes to everything when they shouldn't, it occurred to me that sometimes you need to say yes to yourself instead. Ooh. You know, sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not so much a no as it's, I would love to do that. But right now I need to say yes to my need to have a little bit of peace and quiet so my brain doesn't yes. explode. Yep. Amen. (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly. Because we do, you know, I mean, we have this culture that, that says that we should do things for each other all the time, but that doesn't mean you should burn yourself out doing Mm -hmm. things for other people all the time. And some of us ask me how I know are more likely to, (laughs) to do that than not do that. And, and so yeah, you say yes to adventures and new experiences, but don't forget to say yes to yourself too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So what are you working on these days as an artist or what you want to teach next or? Well, uh, so every year I do like a theme in my classroom and uh, my theme this year. So in the past, it's been like artists A through Z or art through the ages or art around the world or something like that. And in response to our year on the computer, uh, we had, we really had a year and a quarter that were totally on the computer. My school is a uh, one-to-one uh, devices. And uh, so it was a long time on the computer. And I really felt like we needed to specifically in art, just have a year of kind of hands-on uh, physical, like we're going to use the computer as little as possible uh, you know, kind of year. And so the theme is really, uh, just kind of enjoy the process. Uh, and so I, you know, I'm just trying to kind of keep it strictly hands-on activities and, and, uh, we're doing a lot of art exercises, but also just, um, trying to sort of sample as many processes as we can and just kind of get back to that physical experience instead of the virtual experience. Um, so that was de- definitely not something that I ever planned, but uh, just was definitely the right choice for us this year. And uh, I, as far as my personal art making, um, so the only, uh, there's two, I guess, little things that I'm doing right now personally. Um, one is we I teach an AP Studio art course and the kids have to make a, a portfolio of 15 pieces based on a theme. They choose the theme, they choose the materials but I always do it alongside them. So I'm just sort of in touch with how much I've asked them to do and if I should shift a deadline or whatever. And uh, I, my theme, the last two years, I, I kept the same theme for two years. I did cages and uh, I still like that theme, but I had kind of, I, I need to take a break from it. I, I'm not saying I'll never come back to it, but it's, uh, uh, but it, but I had kind of run out of ideas. I think I'd done, you know, two years of that. And, um, and that one was a very, uh, I did a lot of kind of, well, I don't want to say photorealistic work, but I, uh, I did images of prisons. I did animal cages. I did like uh, fish bowls. I did nets in the ocean. I, I, I took kind of a, I did people, uh, you know, people that had been in prison had a pretty loose interpretation of all the different types of cages, even just fences, you know, horses behind fences and things like that. And it was a lot of, uh, kind of just realistic or even just slightly abstracted drawing. And I'm someone you can tell by my wall that <laughs> loves just pure non-objective playing with color and shape. There is no deeper meaning behind any of this. <laughs> um, but I, I really do like to just kind of play 
play with color and shape just just for art's sake. And uh, this was a good year for me to decide to do that. So I have a a portfolio. And when the kids make one piece, I tend to um, sometimes I tend to make two or three um, just because I'm in the art classroom all day. I have a little more time to dedicate to them, and I, I'm always wanting to show them more ways that they can do something. So I, I've done a a series that was kind of just art with circles, another one that's just with triangles. Um, It's, uh, it's very just back to the basics and the pure, um, you know, pure pleasure of art for art's sake. And uh, I, I always, I always do like to, after I've done like a particularly kind of heady series, like to just do something that doesn't require a lot of intellectual thought, that feels like an escape, feels brainless, feels fun. And that's definitely what my series will be. Although I, I do tend to somehow overthink, I somehow I overthink lines and circles and triangles and the colors <laughs> that I, 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 somehow I've managed to do that too. But, uh, but that's what I'm doing personally. And then, um, and, and kind of just also to come back to our yes. And uh, the band director had asked us to, uh, paint the, their panels for their uh, the marching band halftime show. So we're doing some very large Bruno Mars panels. The kids, uh, I did some pencil lines. The kids painted layers. I've painted layers. It's kind of a kind of a collaboration. Um, so that, that's some stuff I'm doing. And then another thing is the community has asked us to do, we're painting storm drains uh, with environmental messages. I, I also have an environmental club known as uh, Tree Huggers Responsible for the Earth Environment also tree. Um, and it's one of my favorite things that uh, one of my students came up with the idea and I've been loving it ever since it's, we, we formed it just before the pandemic. Uh, but we paint storm drains locally that have, uh, environmental messages that kind of, um, show people that litter shouldn't go down the storm drains cause it just goes straight into our water sources. And, uh, so we've, uh, I think we have, we've done five and there's 12 more that we could potentially do over the next couple of years. And, uh, so we have a couple little kind of projects like that little, like we do some holiday window painting and things like that. So we have a few kind of community be- beautification processes, a little bit of brainless fun stuff for me. Um, and and then I think I'm just focusing on new art making experiences with the students. So I I'm, I think I'm usually dabbling in a few different things at the same time. It sort of suits my ADHD um, art interests to start something, start one little project over here, another one over here, and then eventually I'm mad at myself for not finishing the project from several months ago, and I get enough energy to finish that one. <laughs> something like that. I think think that's pretty common. That's not an unusual situation to be in at all. And and just for people who are listening, I want to say that that Tara's Wall is a festival (laughs) of random shapes and colors, and it's really cool. There's a star and an asterisk and something that really looks like it should be a zebra tail. And and it's just fun. So I'm going to call that the zebra tail from now on. I like that. That's what it makes me think of anyway. Yes. But but yeah, so when she talks about the wall, that's what's on it. <laughs> Since you guys can't see it. But but yeah, well it sounds like you keep plenty busy. Yep. I, I am a I'm a busybody. I I think that uh I I like to be pretty busy uh most of the time and then I, I do eventually kind of break and, you know, have to just do nothing for a little bit. But in general, um, 
I think I, I really, I, I am one of those people that loves what they do. So, you know, if you love what you do, you don't work another day in your life in mm-hmm. a way. Um, I, I think, I think being an art teacher is fun. I think working with kids is so fun and rewarding. And, uh, I, I have a lot of reasons to get up and go and start projects and finish projects. And, uh, so I, I, I am generally a little happier, busier. I, I, I don't know that I could in the kind of person that could actually handle retirement, um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I think I could handle it for a few months and then I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to substitute teach a little. I, I can just see me doing something like that. I uh, I don't sit still very long. Um, I think a little bit of activity is actually my my happy place. So, <clears throat> but, you know, a, sometimes that annoys other people. <laughs> you know, it's a really good problem to have. Yes. <laughs> if it's even a problem at all. <laughs> Well, it has been so fantastic to hear your story and all of the things that you're working on and how you've applied yes and to art and all of the rest of it. And I'm so grateful for to you for coming and talking with me today. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you're supporting creative people. And I think it's great for us to share our ideas. Um, keeps us all going and get through those challenging moments when we we have very little energy for the yes and. That's our show for this week. Thanks again to Tara Telke for coming to talk with me. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review and share it with a friend. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.